0: Hello everyone, this is Philinda Carr. Welcome back to the Movers and Breakers podcast, where we dive into the world of construction and explore the stories of people and companies who are shaping the future of our industry. From the latest innovations to the challenges and triumphs of everyday individuals, we bring you the inside scoop of what's happening in construction. Today, I'm speaking with Magali Anderson, Chief Sustainability and Innovation Officer at Wholesome. Thanks for joining us, Magali.
1: Thank you, Beninda. I'm very, very happy to be with you today.
0: Thank you. Um, So you are based in Switzerland, but we met a couple of months ago at MIT in Boston. And that's because in addition to your role at Wholesome, you are also on the industry advisory board at MIT. You're also on the corporate advisory board at the World Green Building Council and the strategic advisory board for Business for Nature. That is, it's mind boggling to me how you managed to juggle so many things at once and talking to you when we met in boston it was you're a very inspirational and motivational person i i learned a lot during a very short conversation and i'm excited to share all your knowledge with the rest of the people in our industry
1: now thank you very much i just think that i was born with so a double dose of energy Compared of energy. To most people. So I need to use that energy somehow. And that's why I try to do so many things. I have no choice. That's no
0: choice. <laughs> wow. So at least you're, you're putting it to good use. You're helping us in the, you're helping everyone in the construction industry on the sustainability side. But there's a very interesting fact about you. You were, you actually started your career in the petroleum industry. You were, that was the majority of your career. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
1: Well, I'm an engineer by trade and I've loved science for as far as I can remember. And I think, you know, remember I graduated, it will be soon 24 years, uh, 34 years, sorry, ago. So you imagine um, older than most people listening to that podcast. And uh, at that time, we didn't have a huge amount of information of which career you could do, et cetera. What I wanted to do is science. And I had discovered that I could really combine my taste of adventure and science together into one job. And that job was to become a field engineer working on an offshore rig. I started working in Nigeria, um, in Wavi to be very specific. So really completely by myself at the middle of the sea with 80 men, incredible adventure. You know, one of those you say, what that bumps kill you makes you stronger. And I really enjoyed my career there because I, I went to one kind of job. Showmeasure is one of those companies that never let you feel bored. So when you have- service so two or three for years you. Years, exactly. Once <laughs> <laughs> you have been two or three years in the job, they move you and they like to move you into something you have never done. So you are always, they keep your little all the time and I really loved it. But I think- I got a wake-up call around, I was getting to my 50. And you know, I think 50 is an age where mm-hmm. you start considering. So some people buy sporty cars, my way, my 50 wake-up call was... Let's start a new I career. Wo- well, <laughs> but more than that, let's give purpose to my career. Before it was scientific and in all fairness, I was not that much aware of of climate change, etc. like most people of my generation. And it was growing in me. I had my um, daughter who was already a vegan, you know. There was all those circumstances, and I just wanted to do something more purposeful. So when Holstein contacted me at the start was for the job of Health and Safety six years ago, I thought, that's a great job because I'm waking up every morning to save people's life. And that's a cool thing to do. And three years later, when they created the Sustainability of research Job, I thought, wow, I was asked. My job before was to save people life. My job now is to save, save the, the planet. planet. That's even more cool. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so was it you that said, hey, I've noticed you've created this new role. I want to be a part of it. Or did they notice something in you that said, and they came to you and said, would you like to be a part of this new role we've created?
1: Frankly, they actually came to me because I did not know that what was created is something that had been kept more or less secret between the board and the CEO for, for all organ kind of good reason, it was considered as a material information. So they hadn't gone around and talked to people about it. So I didn't know about that at all. So when my boss, the CEO was already my boss, but I was not yet part of the executive uh, committee. I was not an officer yet. When he came to see me and offered me that job, I, it's good I was sitting, you gotta think I would have fallen off. <laughs> I was like, wow. I have no idea why you thought of me, but of course, I mean, I I just want to do it. Yes, yeah. let's go. Let's do it. <laughs> and has
0: it been, well, before we move on, maybe we should tell people what Wholesome does. It's one of the
1: largest cement manufacturers in the world. Correct. So it's the largest building material company outside China. And with all kind of building material, including cement and concrete. So it has a large, CO2 so footprint, it's called... This famous hard-to-abate sector, and I think what drives me more than anything else is really the idea of impact. What impact can I have? And when we created the the CSO position, Jan basically told me, "Here you are, you have the job. Go ahead and do something." <laughs> I'm, I'm slightly exaggerating. Of course, we we had we discussed together. We discussed with the board what it would look like, but. It was a bit, it was well blank slate. Yeah. Yeah. I was really given a lot of freedom. And um, and really what was exceptional what was immediately striking, because of course we had been doing sustainability in the in the company for many, many years, was not a new topic. What was new is to give it to put it in the executive committee, meaning to put it at the heart of the decision making, the strategy of the company. And that made a total difference. And when that job was created, I thought, this is such an incredible opportunity to change things that it will be criminal if I don't do something. It has to be exceptional, you know? I'm French. It has to be a revolution. (laughs) (laughs) We have to change everything. And, but I've got to say I was fully supported by um, both the CEO, the board, the executive committee, everyone supported me because I think there was a realization at that moment that some we had to do something, something and we had to do something quick
0: yeah and i guess that's that's the change you might have noticed in the industry in the last 10 to 20 years because our industry the construction industry is typically resistant to change but there's been a wake up call there has been more urgency that's felt by everyone in the industry like we can't keep doing things the same way we can't have the same carbon footprint, we have to rethink the way materials are made. Um, so it seems like your your personal values aligned with Wholesome's company values really well.
1: Yes, it was. Um, it's really, I think the topic had been growing, growing, growing. But did you think about what happened over the last five years? I will not even go about 10 or 15 10. years, how they'd been pressured by shareholders, yeah. of course, the, the young people driven by Greta Thunberg. And think about it, all these young people are usually kids of people who might be decision makers of a company so the the impact all these external stakeholder all the changes that happened really we didn't even go to the last five years yes. have been incredible so so it was that's why when when um that job was created, and I was so lucky to get it um it was an alignment of stars, you know there was a uh, way from from the decision making of the company to do something there was a way from the outside stakeholder there was a way for all our own employees who could see that we could go for a new cap of purpose so everything was aligned and that's what i meant by it was a natural thing me even more yeah. but me with a team of course the, the team did an incredible work it was like We've given a, a fantastic opportunity. We can't waste it. We have to do something good with it.
0: But it can't have been a, a, as easy as you're saying, because I'm, we're talking about a complete a, a shift between these two generations, a shift in mentality, a shift in the, the way we produce products. So I'm sure you you got some pushback from the rest of the people in the industry. It can't have been smooth sailing.
1: Well, it, the, the first thing I think was uh, we were first movers. And because there is a lot of So you brand, change things before people even
0: realize they were changing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well yes, but also there's a, it's a very conservative type of industry. So even our own industry, our own company, we had to convince them. They knew it was the right thing to do, but not everyone was really happy to test the water to be the first one to do it. So that was certainly the biggest thing to to we had to really prove to everybody that it was safe to be first movers of that space Um, and then the other companies we we created the movement and something about the construction industry at least the cement and concrete part is we have a very strong association called global cement and concrete association GCCA, and i've been working a lot with them in the last three years and they are really very much pushy so that our association was the first one to come up with a net civil page aligned with every single CEO, which represents about 80% of the cement making in the world wow. outside China. So it's really been uh, fantastic because you could see that I think people were waiting to have a first mover. <laughs> but when the first mover was there, everyone, there's a great motivation. The entire industry is in movement now.
0: Yeah. It's quite that- amazing. Is there one particular experience that stands out to you during your time at Wholesome that it seemed like an almost impossible task to achieve? And there were so many lessons learned along the way that, and you, maybe you set a new precedent for the rest of the industry in during this, uh, during this journey.
1: So there was no real blockage, um, no complete word block, because I tried to work through them before they happened. Okay. You know, the particularity of my profile is I come from the operations. So I understand what operations people say and I want. I'm not an, an expert in sustainability. My team is experts, of course, but uh, and I often say that to people you need change makers, and change makers are not necessarily super technical experts. Uh-huh. Another title I give to myself is I am a translator. I translate. Thing that the technical people, either from innovation and sustainability, say into something That's practical. that a yeah. can can act on. Act on. So, yeah. because I knew the type of resistance I was going to face, purely I was putting myself in their shoes. Ten years ago, if someone came to me with that, what would I say? And I knew exactly that, how I would have tried to stop it, you know? Yeah. So, I, what I did is really try to do that. And There's one thing I, I don't I certainly will never write a leadership book in my life, but if one day I was going to write one, I would, I think I would in, I don't know if that principle existed, if, if it's new, but I would put it the surrounding leadership style. And what I mean by that is, if you go and see a big boss with a new concept, normally the first thing he's going to do is ask his team what his team thinks, or her tip, team, if it's a lady. And then the, each team member likely are going to also ask their own team. So if you start from the base, you convince the team of the team. When the team member asks, everyone will say, yeah, it's great. And by the time it reads a big boss, he would have heard a lot of positive from everybody because you have worked on these guys before. You have done a, surround, you have surrounded it, that person. Yeah.
0: That's very, <laughs> so, yeah. It's like a bottom to
1: top approach. With the it's a bottom to top, but really targeting the people that you know are going to be using the it. managers yes so that whoever the manager will turn to he or will or she will hear the same they will hear this is fantastic you should do it yeah so it requires it's a lot of work it's really a lot of work um but it's worth the investment when you are trying to do something as new as coming for a net zero pledge with a new model, et cetera. It's worth it. It's worth the time.
0: This isn't, I'm trying to create an analogy to my experience in the architecture industry. Um, I have noticed that architects tend to be more theorists, design in their own little bubble, and then they pass off their drawings, their big fancy theoretical drawings to people out in the field, and they get immediate pushback because there's isn't that communicator between the theorists and the actual installers or the the people doing the practical work. So you're talking about that, like why not ask the people who have hands-on experience, who are going to be using this eventual, this end product, ask them for feedback and then generate ideas with that that end circle and then create this strong idea that's accepted by everyone.
1: Yeah, spend time asking advice, asking for feedback, but also convincing them, explaining exactly what it is. Because a lot of people are just afraid of novelty. That's true. Because they've been doing the same for a number of years and it's comfortable. And that's why when we started the Net Zero pledge, we had more than 70 people involved in in the first workshop we did. And we involved more than 100 people in the countries and everywhere else before we even went to the executive committee.
0: Wow, that's so, very So
1: it, it's really, by the time we were with the executive committee, we would have been extremely disappointed if they said no, because of course, the problem of that methodology is you invested a huge amount of time yeah. before you even know if that's going to be accepted or not. Yeah. <laughs>
0: is, is there one um, quality that you learned or a skill you learned from the petroleum industry that has proven to be like surprisingly um, relevant in the construction industry?
1: I think. A lot of, I think a lot of skills are because you are in a highly technical uh, industry where all the discussion are around science, around technology. Even when I was BP marketing, my discussion with the clients was around reservoirs and so not around what color do you prefer. It was really very technical discussion. So I think that the amount of knowledge and skills that exist in the online industry is needed. Is needed for the next step, and um, I, I felt very lucky to have had that. You know, some people ask me, but you know, with the reputation of oil and gas, I said, "Well, I don't regret my career because it made me who I am today. It gave me those technical skills. I think the other skills I learned, I'm not sure it, if it came from the oil and gas industry or if it came from being a woman in the oil and gas industry. Is resilience. You know, I never give up." I'm I'm like a dog who has a bull. You can't get it off me. That's it. Once I'm on a topic, you can't get me off it. And you can push me back ten times, I will come back a times. time. <laughs> well, the, this is the absolute perfect transition to your
0: role as a leader for women in the construction industry, or in in the I guess the in petroleum, oil and gas industry too, because. Yeah. A couple of years ago, you set up a blog, I'm not going to butcher this name, called La Petroleuse, um, where you write articles giving out weekly or monthly advice to women in the industry on how to navigate different or difficult, um, difficult career paths, difficult situations they may face. You share your personal experience in the industry. So you are obviously really passionate about assisting and bringing other women in this industry? And is it because you were one of the pioneers in the oil and gas industry and you faced a lot of um, challenges you wish other other people had spoken to you about? Is that what's driving you?
1: Oh, absolutely, completely. You know, remember what I was telling you about me being in Nigeria? The only
0: woman, yes.
1: <laughs> the only woman. And again, at that time, we did not have internet. So I didn't have any what Assistance. to tell because we didn't have internet there was no even phones so i couldn't call um so i was completely by myself and but it's a great time i don't regret it By i met my husband then and we are going to celebrate our 30 years wedding anniversary this year so you know so it was fantastic time but it was tough it was very tough and um yeah the idea behind was always that i started by writing a book 20 years ago which is Today, I'm in French, I'm working on the translation, and it's an autobiographic book. So that could look very, very arrogant, but I was using my personal experience to try to say, I faced that. That's what happened to me, and that's what I learned from it. And the idea was behind was really to hide women, so they don't need they can learn from my negative experience because I was a result of negative experience. They can learn from me that they don't need to make the same stupid mistakes I made, and and really, I've I've tried to do that. Um, so it started with a book, and like you said, I've been blogging, even though I haven't been very regular lately. Like, I've been uh, I need to to go back a little to, bit that distracted with your mistake. four jobs, <laughs> <laughs> but it's really the idea is really there. It's really how do I I also try to to think of how do I help women, but also how can we create a new type of leadership. Is the the current type of leadership the only one that is acceptable? Can we do another type of leadership? What value would that bring? So I tried to write on those topics. I'm not an expert, meaning I never, you know, I'm not a coach. I haven't studied um, anything on that topic. It's purely, there's not many people who have had, who were a pioneer like me. And I think the women who are, unfortunately, the majority of them are too busy with their career and everything else to share. So I feel like it's a bit my duty now to, yeah. to try to share pass on with all- those lessons. Yeah, because you, yeah.
0: it's almost like a, like learning a language or something. If it hadn't been taught to the next generation, the language is lost. So if you don't pass on those lessons learned, the next generation is going to go through the same thing or miss out on some lessons that you learned. And it's, it's not helping the next generation like uh, be even more successful than you were. Because that's the ultimate goal, right? And, and you, you said something that was very important. I feel it's, I know we talk about you helping women in the industry, but it's not just women, it's everyone in the industry. If someone else reads your blog and reads your perspective, it's changed. It changes the way they might, um, approach a certain situation at work, dealing with another gender. It's not, it's very, it's what you're providing is very, very valuable advice.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That's what I tried to do. You're right. I tried to look at both sides because I've been both the one, the employee who is traveling as the only woman in a team, but I've always also been the manager who is managing those employees. And how are the manager do you create a type of environment that is very inclusive, but not just of women. I, of course, women is gender. Sorry. I should say more than women is the topic that I know the best. But it's valid for with for everything else. When I talk about accepting another type of leadership, it's not just women; it's also uh, men who would be ready to to show some vulnerability but still be a leader. Yes, you know it's it not just that because you, you you mentioned being a pioneer. one of the issues with pioneer that I, I I read a fair bit about pioneers, and one of the issues of a lot of pioneers is to say. Well, I've managed by myself, so they can I manage. A uh-huh. <laughs> and so, but it is almost sometimes the enemy of diversity. And uh, it's not, on, they don't do it on purpose. It's just for them. And it's so natural that they put that way they manage. Why, why can't the others manage the other way, the same way? And that's so is why. It
0: because they have, um, uh, humans have the, the mentality that I struggle through it that means that everyone else has to struggle through it as well. Why should I make it easier for someone else?
1: I think it's part of it. I think the other part is maybe they forgot that they struggle. You know, by the time they reach a certain level, they think, well, oh, after all, it was a did. you know, so it can't have been that. And I think it's a bit of worse because I really think of, I have a lot of hope of human nature, so I'd rather think that they don't think about it more than they purposely say, you know, a bit like at the army, you do the... <laughs> The, the military. Yeah, the welcoming with all the Hazing games and all everything. The... Okay. <laughs> I hope it's not that. I hope it's more, you know, what's a big deal. But, and, and that's why for me, it's more, it's not about having few women making it. The, for for years and decades, I think few women making it. Always, yeah. you see few women, mm-hmm. and we always talk about that because there are not very, very many. It's really how do we toss all those few women into a mess of women, (laughs) until women becoming so much part of our industry that we don't need my blog anymore, we don't need to talk about it anymore, because it's just completely natural. Natural.
0: So that's that's what I was thinking about, all the lessons that, all the difficult things that you went through in the oil and gas industry 30 years ago, some of those may not be relevant today, because things have changed. But... At the same time, I don't think it's a bad thing to read your blog and to read your experiences, even though it's not completely relevant, which reminds me of a book that I read, um, Nina Desai, I think it's called uh, Playing with the Boys Club or something like that, something to that nature. Uh, And I know it caused a lot of um, controversy at a financial firm because they told all the women at this firm to read this particular book. And that book wasn't relevant to them. It didn't speak to them because that... that particular, her experiences didn't exist today. So they took, they were almost offended by that book. But when I read it, I didn't take it that way. I appreciated the experiences that that author went through, even though it may not be relevant today, it's still important for me to see how far we've come and appreciate how far we've come and then say, okay, those are the experiences she went through. I'm going to go through different experiences and I'm, I still have some lessons that can that I can learn from that author or
1: from you. No. But you know, I'm not sure if things have changed, of course, though. You don't think so? Maybe in some countries, but not everywhere. What I um, I don't travel as much as I used to, but when I was head of parents and safety, I was traveling a lot. And each country where I was going, I would ask the local operation to have a dinner with the 10 15 most, not top women of the of the place, but most energetic, you know, the ones who really wanted to make a difference. We were wonderful dinners, and we were only women, and the reason for only women is I wanted them very free to share their hurdles. And I was amazed, not only the problems, that the challenges they were talking about were not usually different from the ones I faced, I but they were the same in all the yeah, things like, you know, um, look at how many women stop work oh. when they have a baby, even today, or they have a baby, they're st- they're, they, the company has shown that they can't take more responsibility because they are going to dedicate too much time to their baby. They wouldn't think of that to, about a man. How many men do, do they choose to stop work when baby comes to the family instead of woman? Yeah, I think... Yes, the the super uh, extremely uh, like for example, when I was young, I would enter the workshop and they had <laughs> posters you know, with naked women. Of course, you don't see that yeah. anymore. <laughs> but it's much more subtle. In... I wouldn't say it's, it's gone. I'd say vocal. there's still it's... a huge amount of bias, but more subtle than me. I see.
0: So do you, do you feel like you have put extra pressure on yourself uh, during your career because? you felt like you, you were changing the way the industry was thinking. So f- for example, when you had your kids, was it, did you put extra pressure on yourself to say, I am going to return to work? I have to take on more responsibility or, or do you feel like it just came naturally to you because you have twice the amount of energy
1: as any other human? <laughs> no, for me, um, going. my mom was a working mom. I guess that certainly had um, in France, many women work. even though I was not in France. but uh, It's kind of almost something you expect. And I, I don't think I could have stayed home. I would have gone crazy, and I would have made my kids crazy. Uh, and, and that's why I really have no issue with people who want to stop and stay at home because it's their choice. But if it's truly their choice, if it's not society pressure, if it's not family pressure, if it's not husband's pressure, you know, it's if it's a true choice because you're always driving in your lives that the day you have a baby, you well, to be a bong ma, Be it okay. fantastic, great. So I would never say you should all be, but how, how many do it because of all the other pre- external pressures that they yeah. feel?
0: Yeah, and do you, do you see the industry or all our industries changing in that regard? Are are companies being more flexible to working mothers?
1: You know, I was in a, in a panel in Switzerland with discussing that exact topic. And there's a huge shortage of um, infrastructure for kids' care. Uh-huh. So basically, women in Switzerland, and you know, we're 2023, at uh, Switzerland, you would think, not a lot of women in Switzerland are truly expected to stop work and and stay with their babies. So Unfortunately. It's, yeah. the, it's not just companies, it's also the full society, the yeah. teachers at school, the the primary school teachers who think that if, if they never see the mom, they, the kids is not maybe doing as well, even if they see the dad a lot. It, it, it's all those bias that needs to be fought. It's really not just one thing. It's everything. Yeah. So well, now I don't, I'm a very belinda. Uh, I would love to have your Sam, but I don't think we are we are there. Uh, yes. And <laughs> I guess we just have to keep
0: working on it. I think we're making incremental changes, um, but we still have a long way to go. Yeah, yeah. But but it's kind of beautiful to see how far we've come and how far we's str- how much we're struggling to to figure out this. The, The new norm, the new normal, and how we can have women more, um, a bigger part of the industry. I just, I think it's, it's a very beautiful struggle.
1: But I really insist on the change of leadership, because a lot of pioneers like me, I had to work a lot on myself because my model was made up of leadership, Uh which was really what I was surrounded by. So that's what I thought was the normal, Today, I see more and more young people, and I try myself to change, I'm not saying it's easy, but a leadership which is more, I don't know, like that's why I used the word vulnerability before, where a leader accepts that he or she can be wrong sometimes, that she doesn't for the full truth. You, you said vulnerability. Yes, absolutely. Not it's, being it's so... It's all of that. Forward. yeah. And that would be so important. More than more women, we need more different leaders. More different. And that can be men or women, by the way. It doesn't have to be only women, exactly. but I think this is even more important. Absolutely. So you have
0: given us such valuable advice during this podcast. I'm so grateful for you. I think we could end it on a quote that I found on your website that I, I was just... I, was extremely powerful to me yes and it says that in order to succeed in a difficult environment you have to be strong competent talented and hardworking. and that's that's a lot that i guess that just that describes you that describes you really well but is there a piece of advice that you would give to someone was maybe not born with all those innate talents that you might have been born, someone who is hardworking, but maybe not as talented. How did they get to that position that you have gotten to?
1: So I think in my case, you know, I never looked too much ahead. I, what I tried to do is every position that I had, I had to, I tried to do the best I could of that position and so if you really do the best you can, then you will be considered for the next promotion if you make peop- you let people know how good you are, which is usually one of the issues with ladies compared to men. Men, for the same success, men will make sure everyone knows about it. Again, not all men, not all women, yes, but
0: yeah. in
1: general, when women would um, tend to be more quiet and wait for people to recognize their talent. That are, I talk about those women, I call them my silent, competent ladies. They're extra competent, but they, are, they don't let people know enough about it. And I know it can be a little bit hard. Um, if you're not hard worker, you, might, you could still do a fantastic leader, but it's going to be difficult to go up the rock that much. There's a moment where I don't know any CEO who is not just—and I'm not a yeah. CEO. It's away but you see what I mean. I don't know any CEO who is not super hard worker. It—it it, doesn't work, and it's nothing wrong with that. If you're—if you don't want to—if you don't want to sacrifice too much of private life, and everything else to your work, it's your choice. Absolutely, great yeah. yeah. choice. but you need to be aware that if you want to really go up the career, at least in the current environment, you—you you do need to be a hard worker, strong. I think you need resilience, but we should fight the way to people who are not that strong, who are talented and hard worker. Because I had to be strong. I hope because the next generation doesn't need yeah. to be as strong as as I had to. But I think if I had to give an advice to people, like I said, really concentrate on your current job, do it well, and do stay yourself remain yourself don't try to become someone else because you think that to become to be promoted you need to be i don't know something different because not only it's not going to work uh, you might be promoted but soon people will realize you are not what they thought you were yeah. you will be super unhappy so it's really i think the world has to modify it and and it is happening it is starting to happen that people understand the young generation, don't want to work as hard as the previous one, and the companies realize that they need to adapt to that. So so I think it's moving. So it's important to stay yourself and respect your values, respect who you are, and uh, like I said, be good at what you do. Without overdoing it, what I mean by that, and I talk a lot about that, there is this thing, which I've been fighting it for so many years. All these theory that as a woman, you need to prove yourself more than men. This is a stupid theory. You should have, because if you try to prove yourself, that means that somehow you are letting, telling people that you need to prove yourself because you are not good enough. Yeah. That's what, you know, why would you need to prove yourself if you are good enough? You don't. So I always tell women, if a company puts you in a position, that means that company knows you are the best person for that position. Yeah, companies, that's what they do. They take the best person for a position. They don't play games to say, oh, I like this young lady. Let's see what happens if I put her there because I need a lady. It doesn't happen.
0: Yeah,
1: they want, If the company wants to perform, to perform, they need the best people in the position. That's it. So if the company has told you or by giving you the job that I've told you you are the best person for that position, why do you need to prove the true.
0: I guess for me, in my personal experience, I I suffer from the same thing that you're talking about—having to prove myself. And it's because no matter what I do, the moment someone outside, like in the outside world, comes and approaches me, they automatically think that my husband has done what I what I actually accomplished. Whether it's my research, my YouTube channel, my podcast, or anything like—if I—if I I create furniture, do housework, like I mean, like house renovations, piping, electrical work, whatever it's automatically assumed that he is the one who's done it. And, and that's just society. That's But it, but it affects yeah. no, me. Right.
1: But but that's a little bit different. The fact that the bias is such that if a man and a woman enter a room, you automatically think that the manager will be the, woman, the man, not yeah. the woman. Those biases exist and you need to clarify that. But what you said, I did it, I did not it. my husband. Stop there. You know, I mean, the fact you have to clarify to bias is one thing, but... In the work environment, by women, by proving, trying to prove themselves, not only put a huge pressure on themselves, this get a lot of stress, but also, and a lot of my book was about that. I Even need to that read years ago, yeah. but it still happens now. Also, you become a horrible person <laughs> <laughs> if someone want to help you, just out of genuine, being genuinely nice, you will now paranoid all, oh, you think i'm not competent uh, that's why you No, i but i just wanted to that's yeah. Not,
0: yeah.
1: so that's what that's what i mean by you don't need to progress it you need to have your the confidence in you that you are the person for that job yeah. and just do it but don't waste time yes trying to prove to everybody that's something oh
0: that was ex- excellent excellent advice Magali. every time i talk to you i learn something new <laughs> thank you so much for being on a podcast and sharing all your wisdom and I'm going to as soon as you translate your book from French to English um, I'm going to share it with everyone else on LinkedIn and on our community because I think you have some very very valuable advice for everyone
1: thank you Belinda in the meantime my articles are bilingual so they can be read in both languages thank you very much for having me it's always a pleasure to talk to you
0: likewise Magali thank you Thank you.